the college degree, in my opinion, most jobs will say college degree preferred. I think job descriptions would say college degree case by case. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host, Megan Henry, and today we're here to talk about job searches. Um, over the last you know, year or so, I think there's been a lot of um, flux in the job market and especially in claims. There's been a lot of claims jobs that have been lost and a lot of people looking for work. So I thought it'd be a good time to bring on um, two people. One, uh, recruiter Brian Jackson, who is, you know, he could talk about, you know, the best tips to try to land your opportunity um, or your next opportunity. But I also have on um, a professional, Matthew Wardell, who's currently looking for a job. And I thought it'd be great to have him on speak about what he's gone through um, during his job search. And also, you know, he and Brian can kind of connect and talk about what, you know, what else he can do to, you know, push this search forward. So with that being said, let's bring them in. Hi, guys. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm so happy to have both of you on today. Um, you know, I, I, I think the the job search in the, in the legal market and the claims market is just um, ever changing and something that a lot of people have dealt with a lot this year, especially with, you know, layoffs due to COVID and just the changing marketplace. So I think it's just a really interesting conversation to have. So I'm so happy both of you are here to join me. Um, but for our listeners who don't know who's joining me, uh, today we have on uh, Brian Jackson and Brian is a recruiter for Polikov Recruiting. Right. right. And also have Matt Wardle, Wardlaw, who um, is a claims professional who has been like on the job hunt over this past about, I think, what year about now? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to start first with you, you, Brian. Um, how did you get into um, the recruiting space? Yeah. So for me, um, I come from an insurance background. Um, both my parents, I've worked in the insurance industry my whole life. Uh, so it's something that I was familiar with, even got into insurance briefly, uh, for about a year working with Liberty Mutual doing, uh, personal lines, bodily injury claims, um, realized claims wasn't necessarily for me. Um, and I didn't want to stick around and wait for underwriting or some other facet of the industry to open up. Um, and Lance Polikoff, the owner of our firm. He and I had spoken a couple times, even before I started at Liberty Mutual, um, just about opportunities in the insurance industry. And he had reached out to me uh, towards the end of my first year working at Liberty Mutual and asked how things were going. And you know, I was honest with him and said, hey, I don't think this is the career for me, but you know, I love insurance. Um, it's something I want to stay a part of. And at that time, he uh, had recently purchased the firm and was building it up and uh, came on board with him and been doing it for just over three years now. And I couldn't imagine doing anything different. And it must having that, even that, that short amount of time that you worked in insurance, it must help you have a better idea of like, you know, there is a lot of lingo and, you know, terms that are used just in this industry. So it must help you be more acquainted to like the types of positions you're trying to fill. Yeah, it definitely helped um, coming into being a recruiter to kind of have that background. But I'll admit, you know, with me just being personal lines, um, the whole commercial side of the industry was a new learning curve, Okay. <laughs> different types of, you know, lines of business, different coverages, different classes. Yeah. That definitely required probably a good six months of just like on the job, learning, studying, reading, talking with insurance professionals day in and day out. And, you know, 
kind of just being, you know, I guess, ignorant to what I didn't know or, or not knowing I didn't know things and just asking insurance pros, hey, what do you mean by that? And just kind of letting them teach me and coach me um, on other facets. And, and that part is so important. I'm glad you mentioned that too. like really admit that not to come in and pretend, you know, everything and be like, no, no. Yeah. I need you all to teach me um, yeah. <laughs> the ropes here. Um, so Matt, what about you? Why don't you share a little bit about your, your background um, and you know, where, where you were uh, previously? So insurance kind of fell into my lap. Um, when I was 19, my younger brother actually worked at a personal lines carrier here in California. And I happened to be looking for a job. He was an underwriting assistant and I applied for a spot and just started in claims just because I needed a job. Um, fast forward 20 years. Uh, the, the last position I held at York, I was, um, I did commercial lines to start and then I became a manager there in that same department <clears throat> and then got promoted to create a a new way of handling the administration side of claims. So not the claims adjusters themselves, but the, all of the, um, the admin and support work. And so my last role is I created a, a centralized support team for initially it was one account. It was a really big account and it was very busy. We were handling about 10 to 12,000 claims a month. Um, and then that took off and we decided to take it nationally. So then I got put in charge of, of creating this centralized support team on a national scale for York. And um, it was a successful project. It worked out really, really well. Uh, it was a lot more productive and um, beneficial because we had um, assistance na nation nationally, sorry, assistance nationally doing the work now rather than just in each local office. So you got a lot more production, a lot more things done. And so, but you kind of went full, full circle. I mean, you started in claims, but then you mm -hmm. moved to this more um, kind of management and like project management role, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So when I, got when I got promoted to manager, I still had claims personnel that was reporting to me that I did that for about a year and a half while trying to get this project going, just because um, they obviously you want to limit the resources as much as possible um, when you're in, especially at a TPA because you're getting paid differently depending on the account, right? So some accounts pay per claim, some accounts are paying a flat, uh, paying a flat rate. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of became a project manager of this new program that was going on and um, then was given the opportunity to manage it. So not only did the project part, got it going, um, made it happen, but then I managed all the personnel that were part of this project. And, and, I, and you and I had talked a little bit ago, um, but then if I understand, if I remember correctly, I think, you know, when things kind of, the world kind of changed with COVID, did that affect your position? You know, I think it was a combination. Um, York was acquired by Sedgwick in September of 2019. Um, they were going department by department, obviously looking for, is this something that we're going to keep? Is this a redundancy? Can we integrate it into our, our model, et cetera? Um, they got around to my department 
basically in mid-February to early March, and I, my entire department was let go March 2nd mm-hmm. of 2020. So right as COVID was becoming yeah. a major problem in the world, yeah. um, they decided that my department didn't fit into their model. Now, I'm, I'm going to shift this to Brian quickly, because so, you know, hear, Brian, hearing that that story and knowing like the the pressure that's on an individual when they when they find out that they've now lost their job what advice do you give to someone in in those shoes like give yeah. them a day sit down regroup contact everyone you know immediately like what <laughs> what sort of advice do you have someone at, at that point when they've just found out that you know their position is being terminated yeah absolutely um you know you're not far off there megan as far as advice i would probably give right off the bat i mean obviously everybody handles those situations differently. Yeah. Nobody plans to get laid off. Nobody wants to be laid off. Obviously it creates stress relatively immediately because I think anybody's first thought and Matthew, your first thought was probably like, okay, I got bills to pay, you know, right. What am I going to do, you know, for mortgage or utility bills, whatever, you know? Um, and so you kind of automatically shift focus to that. And I think it's natural, um, to kind of have that stress, just kind of thrown upon you. Um, but I do think it's important to wonder group, you know, take a day or so if you need to, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, a couple of days to just gather yourself, readjust and say, okay, it did happen. This is where I'm at. I've got, you know, plenty of years of experience in the claims field. For some people, it can be a, a pivotal point to maybe look at different avenues in the insurance industry if they did want to get out. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that kind of reevaluating and seeing maybe I want to go to underwriting, maybe I want to go to the carrier side, or maybe, you know, maybe it is stay on the TPA side. Um, whatever that may be, it's kind of your chance to sit down, write it out, put a plan together as far as where you may want to take your career next. And I do agree. I think the best thing you can do is certainly use your network. You know, the power of who and, and who you know in your network certainly can play a pivotal part when it comes to getting a career opportunity or at least getting opportunities to sit down and interview with somebody. Um, if you've built those formidable relationships over you know, a 20 year career like you, Matthew, there's bound to be some people you know, in your network that even if you haven't talked to them in five years, hopefully it was a decent enough working relationship you know, in the office, maybe going to get lunch on breaks and stuff like that, that you could reach out to them and say, Hey, you know, here's my situation. You know, I know you're with Chubb or Zurich or, you know, Sedgwick or CRC or whoever. Um, You know, I wanted to reach out and just see, you know, are there any positions doing property claims or casualty, you know, whatever your background may be and just start reaching out to people. I know it. I know it can be difficult to kind of do that at first and just bring yourself to, to reach out to people and say, Hey, I, I've been let go. I know there's certainly a mental aspect to that, uh, that can affect people. And you may not want to, you may not want to admit that, that it happened or, you know, a lot of people I'll speak with feel like they're being a burden. Um, not only to past colleagues that, you know, it may have been five years since they really spoke to them. I'm like, oh, geez, you know, I, I worked with him. We got along fine, but God, I haven't talked to this guy in five years. You know, I don't right. want to think I'm using him, you know, and just not really catching up. Um, and that can happen. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we all can agree people want to help people. Um, so 
I certainly suggest reevaluate, re reach out to your network immediately, put your resume together as fast as possible, obviously, um, but make sure it's a properly formatted resume, you know, properly detailed. Um, that's certainly something we could get into, you know, if the conversation takes us there. Um, and then start applying to places, uh, reach out to a recruiter like myself. Um, you know, we'll do everything that we can to help. One of the biggest downsides to being a recruiter is we can't help everybody we speak with because um, it's it just doesn't work out that way, unfortunately, as much as we would want to. Um, but companies give us jobs to work on that they need immediate help with. And sometimes we have relationships with companies that we can reach out to and shoot your resume to. Sometimes we don't. Um, but I know at least for me, I'll, I'll at least give advice when I can give it if I can't find you a job. Um, so yeah. certainly calling a recruiter that specializes in the insurance industry can help to some extent. And then at least maybe it's not now. I tell people all the time, it could be six months from now. I may call you with a job, but at least I know you and know your background and know what you're looking for. And I'll call you when that job comes up and we can talk about it then. Um, right. So those are like the three or four things I would say to kind of do right off the bat. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, I think what I've seen in my practice and from people I know and things like that, reaching that step to reach out to people in your network can be extraordinarily difficult for, for a lot of individuals, you know, or so, you feel okay reaching out to some people and not others, or you just don't want to put yourself out there. Um, but I found like more often than not, like if I know anybody um, like who's looking for, or even currently employed, but it's like, oh, I'm not so happy here. I'm always trying to like work my network to find, you know, something for anyone. Cause in, in my eyes, I, I want everyone around me to be <laughs> as gainfully and happily employed as they want to be. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to help some, you know, I I'm optimistic that, you know, especially on LinkedIn, you're on there for a reason and, you know, you're on there to network and help others, you know, professionally so I think that's isn't that the whole point of the network I guess but <laughs> um so you know and I know this goes without saying but so you got Matt you got let go about oh, a little over a year ago so you've probably you've gone through a year of probably highs and lows um yeah. and I know that has to be like really mentally difficult uh, on you um you know would you mind sharing some of some of the frustrations that you've experienced over the last year throughout your search? I mean, for me personally, I think there's two things that were the most frustrating is one is the, the lack of communication back after you've applied for something. So yeah. I found that, um, I mean, I don't have the exact percentages, but I would say somewhere honestly nearing 70 to 80% of at least the places that I've applied to don't respond at all. They don't send a, a no, thank you. We're moving in a different direction. They don't set you up for an interview, no, nothing. Um, so I found that really, really interesting because I felt that especially in, you know, today's technology where you're applying everything online, you can at least get an auto-generated letter out that just says, you yeah. know, we're going in a different direction. Um, the other thing that's, I don't think it's unique to me, but it is part of my personal stories, I don't have a college degree. Um, and what I'm finding is that that makes it extremely difficult for a lot of employers to want to use experience, um, or I'm sorry, 
employers would rather have a college degree than the experience. And I, I'm not really sure why that is the case in um, many of the job searches that I had, but I, I flat out have been told, no, you don't have a college degree. Um, it's interesting that he brought up Liberty Mutual because I worked at Liberty for about a year and a half. And I was, um, after I left Mercury, I went to Liberty and I was a, a front end claims, like a entry-level claims personnel. Um, and I couldn't move beyond there because I don't have a college degree. And that's why I ultimately left Liberty to go to York is because my boss said that they're not going to promote you. It doesn't matter how well you do. It doesn't matter what experience or background that you have. Um, in order to go to the next level of claims, you have to get a college degree. And I just felt that that was a really interesting place for employers to be taking that my 13 years at Mercury didn't have any influence right. on my ability to move up within the organization simply because I didn't have some sort of degree to put next to my name. I mean, there were people that were getting promoted that had music degrees that had <laughs> stuff that's completely not related to claims. And I don't even know how it's going to be applicable, but they had, they had a, you know, those uh, letters after their name. Yeah. I mean, I would say too, at a certain point in your career, like how uh, your college degree really isn't that useful. I mean, like I, I, I majored in math and psychology I can tell you I'm not really using either of those things I think right, right. now um so it, it's it's interesting to me that companies do still put so much stock in that when you have the work experience to back it up I could see if you're entry level Agreed. and they need something to to you know hang a hat on but when you've proven yourself in the industry and have multiple years and numerous years of experience you think at some point that kind of moves moves forward but brian you might be able to chime on this too because you're on you've got a kind of the inside track as well yeah um i mean it's definitely a situation that occurs i certainly agree with matthew and have seen it on my side of things there's definitely been candidates that i've worked with submitted them for positions and you know companies chose not to move forward because they required a college degree I agree with Matthew and yourself that, you know, yes, it makes sense if you're coming fresh out of college or no industry experience, it makes sense to want to see some type of paper that says, hey, I have the work ethic. You know, that's basically what a college degree, in my opinion, will show is I have the work ethic to stick it out for four years. And but does it even even show that? I mean, what did we I mean, what did I do in college? I mean, yeah. I worked hard, but I also played. Yeah. You know? so yeah. I don't depends. really know if it shows that. Definitely depends. Um, but I totally agree. I mean, if you have 15, 10, 15, 20 years of experience backing you and you can speak knowledgeably about the claims process, you know, first, third party claims, you know, reservation of rights letters, you know, speaking with defense counsel, plaintiff's attorneys, whatever that goes into a claims process and settling a claim, you have 20 years of experience to back it up. I agree with you, Matthew, like yeah. the college degree, in my opinion, most jobs will say college degree preferred. I think job descriptions would say college degree case by case, you know, yeah, yeah. it's a case by case basis. If you have the experience to back it up. We don't care. If you don't, then we're going to want to see that you went to college. Right. So how, how do you recommend, or what would you say as to like, I don't want to use like getting around that or 
tackling that obstacle? Is it just finding the right fit? <laughs> yeah, that's where your one option, that's where your network comes in. Yeah, that's just, that's one of those obstacles where that's really got to be your network. You got to have a friend or a colleague that is in a manager position and they can have some sway over HR or the higher ups to be that make these roles, you know, um, or you just have to kind of deal with it. I know it's tough. I know it's not fair. Um, and you just move on and you go to a different company that right. understand the value and the experience that you bring and not really worry about the college degree aspect. Um, those are really the only two things. I mean, companies are companies and people are going to put in stipulations to be yeah. qualified, you know, for a career with them. And unfortunately you can't, you know, it's not like you can send an email and say, Hey, I think your college degree preference is stupid. <laughs> you know. I don't know if that's going to get you to the front of the like, line. It's not going to get yeah. you out the door. It's just going to, you know, even invoke less response from whomever. Um, yeah, I'd say the other aspect that you could do is find whoever the HR or the talent acquisition or the manager, whoever it is, you know, that's where LinkedIn can come into play. Uh, I don't know if you've done this in your search process, um, but you can search, say it's, you know, uh, say it was a claims job at Sedgwick and you just type in claims, Sedgwick, California, you know, where you're located. It should pull up a list of, I don't know how many people work in California for Sedgwick, but a hundred plus, you know, people. And you just start scrolling through and you look for the people who have claims manager or claim supervisor on their title on LinkedIn. Now they may not be the exact manager for that role that you're applying for, that you're looking into, but they are a manager, they are a supervisor. And then Nine times out of 10, you can do a, a quick Google search or uh, really something that I don't use as much because we pay for other services that find people's information for us, as creepy as that sounds. Um, but back before we used this service, a lot of what we would do is use Bing, like the, the web browser Bing. Mm -hmm. uh, and we would use a Bing search and you can put search strands in there that are like Sedgwick, you know, um, claims or Sedgwick insurance, there's keywords and stuff that you can kind of put into a Bing search and I'll populate links and um, results that may show you how the email is set up basically. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Whether it's Matthew.wardlaw at Sedgwick.com or Matthew W at Sedgwick, whatever, right. you know, now you can pull that and you have an idea of what the general lay of the email is. You may have to guess a little bit, but you pull their name, you structure it based on what you see in the Bing results search, and then you just send them a nice email with a copy of your resume. Um, you know, you don't, you can just put something in the body and say, hey, I, I wanted to reach out. I don't know if you're the manager for this position or if this, you know, person would report directly to you, but I did want to reach out to somebody there, let them know that I did recently apply. I've attached my resume. Yes, I'm aware you know, that a college degree is required, you know, just go ahead and address it. Like it's one of those things, like most things in life, just address it. <laughs> Put that on there. Hey, I am aware college degree is preferred or required. I do not have one, but here's what I do have. And right. this is where, you know, I'll talk with people and it's something that we do as recruiters. 
when we do work with candidates that we think are, you know, placeable and, you know, that we could help out um, find jobs, we'll craft what we kind of call like a, a FAB statement, F-A-B. And it basically is feature, achievement, and benefit is what it stands for. And so you kind of use that structure to make your cover letter, basically. Mm -hmm. And you just say, hey, here is a brief feature, almost like a, a movie highlight reel, you know, for a trailer coming out. You kind of do a quick two, three sentence. Here are some features about me. I'm Matthew Wardlaw. I have 20 years of claims experience handling first and third party claims with, you know, TPAs as well as carrier background experience. You know, majority of my career has been litigated or non-litigated claims, whatever that may be. Yeah, and you just kind of do a brief two to three synopsis there, two to three sentence synopsis there. Then you go down one more paragraph, you hit some of your achievements. You know, over my career, I've successfully negotiated million dollar settlements. You know, um, I've continually increased my reserve setting authority or my settlement authority, or for you, you know, I successfully completed and, you know, um, developed a project or program for York that was on a national scale, you know, something that yeah. kind of shows some achievements, one or two, don't have to go crazy with it. And then you wrap it up with a benefit, which is always what's in it for me, or in this case, what's right. in it for the company. Here's what this means for you. I, Matthew Wardlaw, you know, can successfully transition into this role because of the experience and achievements that I've accomplished in my career, you know, outlined above, I think I would be successful in XYZ position. Um, you know, and you kind of want to pick one or two things that are in the job description or whatnot for that benefit piece. Um, is it a surefire way or is it going to get you, you know, a, a job automatically? No, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> right, but, right. Um, does it give a different take on, you know, the job search process and does it, probably cause the manager or the HR person to take a second look rather than you just submitting online and going through the application process and crossing your fingers that somebody looks at it or contacts you about it. Um, you know, at least now you've emailed them. Chances are they probably saw it. Chances are they probably read it. Um, and the hope is they're going to at least give it a second look and go, wow, Matthew, you know, has some pretty good experience here. He kind of hit the nail on the head for what we're looking for. Or even if not that, you've gone ahead and outlined your background and where you may fit with the company. And there may be another position that comes up in three weeks or a month that they are like, hey, who's that guy that sent me this email that was, you know, kind of personally crafted? Oh, yeah, Matthew, I, I need to call him for this position. Well, I think that's such a good point though that you bring up though, because a lot of the the job process right now seems very automated. You know, it's mm -hmm. very easy to apply. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, since it's so easy to apply, I think there's that many more <laughs> applicants. And so, but there's also a lot of artificial intelligence attached to things that get, get applicants weeded out before they even see a human eye. Wow. So yeah. no, am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. Cause that's just what I've been working on. Not, I thought this is the case. Not a hundred percent. I mean, there are <laughs> what they call the applicant tracking system, but somebody somewhere looks at your resume. Somebody somewhere looks at your background to my knowledge. Again, I, I don't know all things hiring. I don't know all things HR. I know what I know. I look at every resume when I put a job posting up. I see every resume come in, none are filtered out. You know, it, it all hits my inbox. Are there plenty of people that apply that 
are nowhere near the fit or the industry or the job that I'm recruiting for. But because it says account manager, I get people, you know, from Lord knows what kind of industry uh, that also has the title account manager applying. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so do HR people and talent acquisition people within companies probably get the same thing? Absolutely. I have this conversation with them. And it does become overwhelming and it is tough to sift it through. And they do, start, you know, you do start to, you know, you got it's a balancing act. You have to balance your time. They're trying to find somebody for the manager for the position. I'm trying to find somebody for the company for the position. Would I love to respond to all 50 people that apply to me that are not even in the insurance industry and say, hey, I'm sorry, this isn't, you know, you're not in the industry. I recruited and I don't have any connections. Here's a an alternate source. Yeah, I'd love to. Do I sometimes? Yeah, I'll take three hours out of my Sunday and send emails to people. But yeah, it becomes a point where you just, you can't respond to everybody. Um, but I guess back to your point, there is some analytics and IA to it, um, AI to it, but somebody's still looking at your background. Yeah. Um, but I think taking that extra step, mm-hmm. I think, I think it says does two things. It shows that you're willing to take an extra step and, you know, you might just get, you might be able to get in through in the doors through another, another door. And sometimes I think that that helps. I mean, I, I know like whenever, whenever I know anyone who's looking for anything, they tell me they've applied at X place. I'm like, I immediately go see my network, see who do I know there? And then I reach out with someone I know there and say, oh, like I know so-and-so applied, you know, just be on the lookout for, for the resume or can, can you put it to the top of the pile or, you know, some, something like that, whether they do it or they don't, <laughs> I don't know, but I, I guess I feel that it, it always works in your favor to have more people working for you. Right. And speaking of your accolades, mm-hmm. you know, I, um, so well, you answered my AI question. That was one of the ones I was, I was always wondering about that, that it, there's this, like, yeah. everything gets weeded out. Like if you don't have certain keywords in your resume that are in the job description, description, whether or not it automatically gets put to a no pile. Again, to my knowledge and what I experience, we don't have technology that does that. I know I am connected and see plenty of other recruiters and even some HR professionals, not necessarily in the insurance space, but just other people in that realm that I'm connected with that constantly make posts on LinkedIn that combat that theory and basically are like, don't listen to, you know, the whoever's out there on the internet that are saying, use all these keywords, the internet, you know, the ATS is going to source you out if you don't basically make your resume a keyword, you know, jungle for the the ATS to pick you yeah now some human is still going to look at your resume and the bigger thing to do is to have a properly structured resume that actually speaks to what the manager gives a crap about yeah which in claims is what's your settlement authority what's your reserve authority how many claims have you handled you know is it average pending of 100 150 200 you know, they care about that because they're going to correlate that with what their average, their team handles on average. What jurisdictions are you comfortable with liberal jurisdictions? Are you comfortable with conservative jurisdictions? Are you handling 60% litigated, 40% non-litigated claims? Like those are what companies, managers, HR people want to see, not successfully 
settled claims or mm -hmm. successfully set reserve or, you know, basically taking what the job description says and just putting it on your resume. So specifics. Yeah. Specifics matter. Numbers matter. Something I can't stress enough. Um, something that I'll always ask people. And if you are going to be looking for a job or if you're thinking about career search and your next step and your move, a lot of times I'll, because I'll ask people these questions on the phone when I talk to them. Hey, what's your average pending claims caseload? I don't know. I, I think like 120. I don't know. Um, okay. Well, do you handle litigated claims? Yeah, I handle some. Okay. Well, is it all litigated? Some litigated? Do you know the ratio there? 60, 40, 70, 30? You know, people don't always know. And that's fine because you get caught up in the minutia of the day to day. But if you are thinking about looking, go ahead and take that initiative to kind of pay closer attention to your claims caseload and just jot down some notes. Okay, today I had a, a pending of 133 claims. Cool, do that for the next month. Yeah. Do what you said around average. And you know, these numbers that you give don't have to be absolutes. Your, your manager, your interviewer is not gonna sit here and go, hmm, Matthew, are you really telling the truth? You handled 130 claims when it was 128. Right, right. <laughs> like they're not gonna call your previous company and say, hey, Matthew said he handled a pending of 130. Is that right? Oh no, let me tell you, Matthew handled 125. <laughs> you know, right. five extra claims are gonna make a difference. So right. as long as they're relatively close, you know, um, then it's fine. Uh, obviously, if you're completely lying about it, they'll find out within your first week. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they will. Know, those are things that people need to kind of do when they're crafting their resume and things that I ask and talk with people about. Um, but it's just stuff to be aware of because not everybody has access to those numbers. That's yeah. something I hear a lot of times is, well, my company doesn't show me those numbers. I haven't done an annual review in two years, so I don't know, you know, um, they don't get these reports sent to them. So you kind of got to put the ball in your hand and do your own research of what your day to day looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So Matthew, I'm going to throw it, throw it to you, put you in the hot seat a little bit here though. <laughs> okay. So what, you know, if you were to design your ideal position or ideal job, what would it be? That is a tough one. Um, I mean, honestly, not to like too, too much reminisce, I really did love my last position. I think it was a good mix of project management, um, people management, and still being involved in the claim side. Like I really did have um, what I thought was one of the most rewarding and fun jobs in the company. Um, I got to have my team together. I got to still handle claims. I got to deal with clients I got to deal with um, other colleagues throughout the nation so that something similar to that I really liked the traveling aspect I know a lot of people don't like to do business travel I didn't mind doing the business travel I think I told you last time we spoke like in 2019 I spent 70 days in a hotel um, doing this project so that would be probably close to my ideal job something that allows me to um to travel as well as to, to fulfill a need for the company. And I know that sounds really generalized, but like, I really like having like structured goals and trying to meet those goals for the company. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, that is what I really liked about that job is, you know, they gave me a project. They said, can you complete this? Yes. And I did it. Um, and then they just continued to give me more and more and more stuff as, um, I guess my skill set and my um, experience in that type of environment grew. So that, that would be ideal. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be in claims or in insurance again. Um, but yeah, the project management side was the most fun side. Well, and that's what I kind of love about your background though, too. So like, while you do have, you know, claims experience, like your background is a little wider reaching. Um, and I mean, in, in, in my eyes, it makes you like a, a stronger candidate because you have both those, those aspects of in your background that you could handle, you know, a job at either, either place. And you don't, you're not stuck to, or married to insurance, so to speak, you right. go outside the industry. Um, so Brian, like, what would be your advice to how to best like sell that, that multifaceted background into, um, segueing into, you know, a position that suits his needs the best way? I mean, to me, honestly, is always the best policy, obviously. It can be tricky because it is a different, that type of role is a different role. You know, most, you know, if it's a carrier claims position, most of the time they're looking for somebody who can sit at a desk and handle a claims caseload and actively settle and, you know, set proper reserves. Um, so, you know, if you're saying, hey, I want to travel 70, you know, days out of the year and go meet with clients and other companies and things like that, not every company has that um, type right. of setup. So it's a difficult one to finesse. Um, I'll be honest, I don't have like a, a surefire answer on how to, <laughs> how to do it or how to go about it. Um, you know, I, to me, it's, again, I always believe just kind of being honest about you want what you want plays out in the end. Um, yeah. But I'll be honest. I just, I don't know a proper way to do it. Um, right. It's just one of those things. Like you well, liked what you liked and you did what you did. That's the role. And either companies have something similar to that or they don't. And if they don't, then it just comes back to you personally. And right. well, do I need to just restructure my narrative for now so that I can get a job, you know, and get to work and then get into a company and from there, you know, try and maneuver after a year getting in or maybe, maybe you create that kind of role, you know, maybe you get in, you prove yourself really well, you, you work hard and you go to the manager or go to the claims director and say, Hey, here's something I did at York, you know, it worked really well. Here's the benefits that it brought to the organization and the, you know, companies we supported as a TPA. Um, you know, they're as crappy as it can be, you know, there probably comes a time, I think, for everybody where you, you just kind of craft your narrative and you say what you have to say to hopefully kind of get your foot in the door. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that's a great point too, though, to use, you know, leverage your, your background in one area to get in the door and then you know, show your worth once you're in to be like, well, I can do so much more than what I'm doing and let me show you how. And that, I mean, and it's almost in a way already what you did, right? I mean, you, you were working in claims and then you kind of, you stretched over and you, you know, you, you really excelled in the, in this project management area. So I think, you know, 
I think that's that's pretty good advice. I think. Yeah, and that and that is kind of what happened too, because at the yeah. same time was we were going through. Um, we had a, like a lien expert come in to help redo our claims. And I got assigned to that team. And that's really where that part of the career took off is once we were doing, you know, the, the process mapping and the lean training and everything else, um, myself and the, the person that they got to, to do the lean training really got close. And he, um, he really advocated for me to be on, the, the national implementation team for that. And that's really where it was like, okay, he doesn't just do claims. He's got a lot of other talents that we can utilize. So that was yeah. always a, it, it was, a, it was an accident. It was a perfect accident, but it was an accident. And I was really grateful for it. Yeah. I mean, I think you re- we need someone or we need someone to like be listening to this and be like, I, I, I need, I need Matthew here. Yeah. That <laughs> I mean- would be great. <laughs> I, I need to take a chance on this guy because it sounds yeah. like he was, he did some great things. <laughs> that would be awesome. You know, and what people don't realize is I think when, especially the stuff that I did, the money that I saved the company, like by doing these things, like it was in the, some of the choices that we made were in the hundreds of thousands to a million dollars a year, um, just changing some minor little things. Um, and the company saw huge huge uh savings from just a few of the different projects that i helped create and manage there so um you know sometimes it is worth it to to pay somebody that salary they're asking for because in the long run the savings is going to way outweigh it yeah and i mean and i'm sure companies always like to save money right. <laughs> so i i hope you're highlighting how much money you save them i think that that it, that speaks a lot of special in claims. It's all yes. about saving money and claims. You know, what's yeah, the I mean, settlement we, we can walk away with here? We did one thing. It was one thing where we we did have to spend nine thousand dollars to to get this new licensing on our phones for my team. Um, but we spent nine thousand dollars one time. My team started taking during office hours the phone calls that we were paying a third party for. And that was about $20,000 a month savings because that third wow. party was um, charging us per phone call. So whether the phone call was, you know, 10 seconds or whether it was 10 minutes, it was, I don't remember the exact cost per phone call, but they went from taking like 5,000 phone calls a month down to somewhere around 150 phone calls a month, the third party. And so it was saving between 10 and $20,000 a month for that small investment and to change the phone routing system. That's all we did a few clicks with the IT team. Um, and they got the, the, the people calling in got better service because they're no longer dealing with a third party outsider. They're dealing with somebody who works for York and who has the ability to either get them to the right place or make the decision they need to make. So it's just little stuff like that, that when you sit back and examine the whole process, um, you can save huge amounts of money for any company, I think, yeah. just by doing a, a few improvements. And, and to piggyback off of what Brian had mentioned earlier, you know, I think highlighting all those, those money-saving measures on, mm-hmm. on your application, um, I, if I'm understanding what Brian was saying earlier, I think that, like, that's something that will really stand out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, on that achievement aspect, you know, if that's kind of the bigger achievement, then, hey, I, I routinely settled 20 claims a month or, you know, 
um, right. successfully negotiated a million dollar settlement. Like, cool. That's great. That's awesome. You know, that's a difficult claim, obviously. Um, or it was just in a terrible jurisdiction um, <laughs> and it required you to settle it um, at a higher limit. But if you can go in and say, Hey, I saved York or my previous company on average, $30,000 a month. What company doesn't want to save $30,000 a month? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. They're going to want to talk to you and say, how'd you do that? (laughs) Can you do it here too? (laughs) Uh, So Brian, earlier you had mentioned, um, you touched on resume format and you said, Oh, I hope we get to talk about the, this later. So I want to make sure we, we touch on it so we don't leave it out there hanging. So, you know, what are, what is your view on, um, I think you said it had to be a properly formatted resume. And I think there's a lot of people have very strong opinions about how resumes should look. <laughs> yeah. There's always opinions. There's always, you know, thoughts on how resumes should look for sure. And, you know, I'll be honest, there's no like, perfect surefire way to structure it that's going to be like oh this person has a phenomenal resume I'm going to give them a job like that's not the way that it works necessarily but there are definitely good structured resumes and then there are poorly structured resumes Um, usually the things that kind of catch my eye are ones that are like too much bold all black Um, I'll always tell people try your best to avoid paragraph formations of your job and what you did. Because what you're doing there is you're, you're really forcing the reader to read. (laughs) And, you know, if I'll get resumes from people that, you know, their senior claims or senior underwriting position or whatever they held at XYZ company, they make it almost two paragraphs. And I feel, you know, it makes the reader feel like they really, really have to dig and sift to find the information that they're really looking for, which nine times out of 10 goes back to those numbers and those figures. You know, if I'm a claims manager, you know, I'm probably more concerned about, okay, are they, you know, licensed in California, New Jersey, Delaware, et cetera, wherever they may be handling the claims. Okay, cool. Did they have reserve authority up to... 500,000, a million, 25,000, whatever. Um, you know, those are the things that they'll probably be looking for first. Um, Cause that's going to help them figure out if you can kind of fall into place with their team and what their current structure is. Um, so you want to make those typically more bulleted. There's nothing wrong to have like a sentence or two to start off, you know, what you did or to give that brief lineup, but um you certainly want to kind of have it in a bullet perspective. Um, so I would definitely do that kind of bullet it rather than paragraph less bold. Um, nothing wrong with adding a little bit of color um, to it. Um, Cause certainly if it is all black, just to me, mm-hmm. it kind of comes across bland sometimes. Um, there's plenty of resume formats and stuff that you can go out and purchase online. Right, right. Um, you know, I think there's plenty that do look decent um, and kind of catch your eye. Um, the other thing I would say that is a no-no in my opinion, again, other people probably have other opinions. Um, don't put a photo of yourself. Mm. Yeah. There's people out there that send me resumes and, you know, it doesn't bother me. Um, and I don't think it necessarily bothers anybody, but it does or could 
potentially create um, some form of discrimination. Yeah, you for know? sure. Um, then I see that photo of you and think, oh, you're young, you're old, you're, you know, right. whatever. Um, and it could be subconsciously, just a sub- yeah. subconscious discrimination. Yeah. Subconscious. What, what, how about, you know, I remember coming, you know, out of college and out of, out of law school, like you always want, you always put like some, something more like personal, like your personal interests on there. But as you move further on in your career, um, is that a no-no or like discouraged? I wouldn't say it's a no-no. Does it make a difference? Probably not. Yeah. Unless you like specifically know that hiring manager and you just know they love pickleball or soccer or whatever. Um, then yeah, it may make a difference and they catch their eye and be like, hmm, you know, I play pickleball, I play soccer, whatever. Yeah. I could talk to this person. Um, but I, again, I don't really see a purpose in it. Yeah. I mean, I remember, we, we don't, we don't, I would, I think it was always recommended when you didn't have really a lot of work experience to put on there. So you needed to have something to put on there. Right. Perfect. Like I, I had an internship and I, I, you had to put something on that made you sound like a little more interesting. Yeah. Um, but as you, you know, you're a professional now, I think it's less important, but I, I was curious if it's still like, like, I don't know, people still like to see some human aspect of you or it just looks completely yeah. silly. I know someone who applied to like one of my old jobs, um, still put on his resume that he was like prom king. And I was like, okay, come on. Yeah, <laughs> no one cares. Necessary. That's not necessary. Um, but it is good for college grads, for sure. I mean, I still see plenty of resumes from kids coming out of the risk management program at Temple or UGA or, you know, Florida or wherever they may go to school. Um, those definitely help because it's like, all right, cool. They were chapter president of Gamma Iota Sigma. Great. They took yeah. a part of that. Um, cool. They were captain of their swim team or baseball team or softball team or whatever. Um, those things definitely play a part if you're 20, 21, 22 coming out of college. But if you are 15, 20 years into your career, at this point, nobody cares that you led your baseball team, you know, or anything like that. Um, You know, unless you, again, unless you specifically know the manager and you know they have an interest in something, I would just leave it off. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Um, So Matthew, do you have it on there that you're a prom queen? king i don't <laughs> i left that one off this time <laughs> and something else a lot of people debate is like one page two page three page oh yeah um a lot of debates on that again there's no right answer to that anyone that says it has to be one page or it has to be three pages selling you a crock you know just a crock of lies um again what matters is more the content if you can yeah. form, formulate the content to show your experience in one page, great. If it takes you two pages, cool. Um, doesn't really matter. If it's three pages, that's fine. I will agree. If you get to kind of four and on, you're probably adding too much fluff. Um, or you've just made a lot, a lot of career changes, which right. <laughs> creates a whole other issue of job hopping or questioning of why has this person changed a job every six months? Um, yeah. But doesn't matter if it's one, doesn't matter if it's two, doesn't matter if it's three, um, just have the proper content that matters in there. Yeah. I, I, and I mean, I'm not in recruiting, but I think the one page 
thing is more based off of earlier in your career too, when, you know, you, you want to have just enough on there. You don't want to have too much fluff, but as you get more experience, you're going to, you're going to weed over to a second page because you've probably done more or you've worked at, you know, multiple places and you're not putting in, you know, where you, you know, worked, you know, in the summer in high school and stuff like you're, right. <laughs> you're streamlining it a little bit. Um, well, we, we are almost out of time, but I wanted, um, you know, I wanted to thank you both for, for coming on and for any of our, our listeners out there, um, you know, I, you know, take a look at, at Matthew. I'm going to give him a second when I'm done talking to say where you can find him. Um, but I think he'd be a, like an awesome addition to any company out there. Um, and for any of the job seekers out there, you know, please, please contact Brian, but I'll, I'll turn the floor over to you, Matthew, you know, uh, give your 30 second elevator pitch and let everyone know where they can, they can find you um, and they can hire you. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn. My name is Matthew Wardlaw. Um, I think my resume is all over LinkedIn. I know that Megan, you helped uh, get that out there. So I'm very appreciative of that. Um, I mean, I can give my email address, which is really easy. It's matthew.wardlaw at gmail.com. I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody or entertain any questions that anybody has about myself or my background. Uh, and I just really appreciate the opportunity that you've given. I know I've actually gotten a couple calls from people because of you, Megan. So I really oh, appreciate that. That makes and, me so happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's been great connecting with you. And I appreciate the opportunity of being on um, the podcast here and, and the help that you've given. Well, thank you. I'm so happy I could help. And I'm hope I'm hoping this, you can, you know, get, this will help you even more to get your, your yeah. name out there and the word out there. Um, and, you know, you know, I think it's just a matter of the, the perfect fit for you. So yeah. and you. you're welcome. And how about you, Brian, let everyone know where they can, they can find you. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, just search Brian Jackson, um, on there. Um, constantly post updates on jobs and stuff like that follow our company page it's polikoff recruitment solutions for anybody that maybe claims or underwriting or actuary or territory marketing whatever you may be um i think we have like 58 jobs right now that we're working on for probably 20 or 30 different companies so check out there if you are looking um or if you're thinking about looking and just want to have a conversation um you can find me on twitter um I kind of am more of a follower on Twitter. I uh, don't really tweet as much, um, but um, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is. Uh, <laughs> search so, Brian Jackson. So or good luck finding him on there. <laughs> search recruiter on Twitter. Um, you could probably find me, but uh, LinkedIn is usually the best place to get me. Um, if you're looking to have a conversation or just want to pick my brain on avenues, you know, that you could take with your career or ways to do it. Um, always happy to have a conversation. Well, thank you both for coming, for coming on, um, uh, and, and letting me, you know, Brian, pick your brain and, and help me promote Matthew some more for, for people to hear, but for all our listeners out there, um, as always, if you like what you hear, uh, we are on Apple podcasts and please subscribe. And we can also find us on YouTube at the legal navigator. So please like, and subscribe that as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you.